now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. It is week three of the preseason, the single most important week of the entire football year. Seasons are won (laughs) and lost in this week coming up. But before I get to that, I'm here with my good buddy, Rich Hill, and it wouldn't be polite if I didn't ask how you're doing. Oh, I am doing well. We are well underway. I feel like we're hitting our stride right now. We're getting back into the rhythm. That's what the preseason's all about. Two weeks in the books, Patriots just had their Super Bowl redemption by absolutely <laughs> crushing the Philadelphia Eagles. What more can you want just to exercise those demons in the preseason, man? I mean, that's what football's all about, right? Winning second week of the preseason. No, it's not, Rich. It's winning third week of the preseason. Oh, I forgot. I forgot already. Opening, my opening rant was all about how important this upcoming game against the Panthers is. Week three is all that matters. Week two is just for the, the back end of the roster, guys. Come on, get with it. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I'm still getting off the rust, too, you know? Same as all the other Patriots, and uh, this is a good little segue right here, right? Well, same with all the other Patriots on the first <laughs> team that were finally getting their, their looks against the Eagles. Patriots won 37-20 last week. Alec, I had a lot of really positive takeaways from this game. I thought that the Patriots looked pretty good. What did you think? Yeah, I thought they looked great. I thought the ones in, uh, were were fantastic. Tom Brady looked very sharp. He's as mobile as I've ever seen him. And it was against the the Eagles ones. And I know the defensive game planning wasn't there. And but what I've always said is the offensive defensive line is pretty much it is what it is. You can block or you can penetrate or you can't. And the Eagles defensive line was not getting to Brady. He looked crisp. He had a very decisive throws. Uh, the, the the receivers that were out there looked good. James White looks to be a big part of this offense. They may not miss Deion Lewis after all. Who knows? The defense looked solid. There was a good strip sack. Your boy Jawan Bentley had a big game. You have to be very happy. Again, it is preseason. You temper expectations. But I think you have to be as happy as you can be with what we saw from the ones and the maybe second-depth guys as well. Yeah, and let's start with the Patriots offense, where, where Tom Brady went 19 of 26 on the day, 172 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, passer rating of 116.2. He picked up this year exactly where he left off in the Super Bowl in just completely dominating fashion. And after having to suffer through a little bit of Brian Hoyer last week, it was so refreshing to see Brady out there because, oh my gosh, I, I knew that there was a difference between Tom Brady and Brian Hoyer. I knew that. <laughs> I, I think everyone knows that. I just did not recognize how stark and great that divide was until we saw Tom Brady come off, you know, I'll come off the field at the half and they put in Brian Hoyer to start the second half. And Brian Hoyer is just so many leagues below Brady with regards to just arm talent, just the velocity of the ball, the placement, the wind up, the technique. Brady just did not look like he's dropped off at all whatsoever from last year and I'm totally with you actually it looked like he was more mobile than ever before and he's already improved his game year over year over year since that 2013 season and I see no reason why he isn't going to be a leader for the MVP award this year again here's hoping man again it's all about staying healthy and making sure that the weapons around him are adequate and doing their job and the offensive line is doing its job and the running backs are contributing in the running game but 
you know, we can talk about what's going on around those positions in a little bit. But overall, I think the offense get the first team offense gets an A. The first team defense, which we can talk about, gets an A. I am really excited. Again, tempering expectations, but I am very excited about what I've seen so far in front of this Patriots defensive line, particularly the edge rushers. It's been a really long time since, I guess, Chandler Jones left, since we've had a really solid pair of edge rushers. With Adrian Claiborne, I really like what he's brought to the table so far. Trey Flowers is injured, so he hasn't even been on the field yet. We got Derek Rivers, the the top draft pick from last year. Dietrich Wise is playing well. There's a really solid combination of guys along that front of the defensive line that I'm sure Brian Flores is going to have a lot of fun with, and I was very impressed with them as well. Yeah, and you add in Keontae Davis, who was likely going to be an early-round pick last year, but he suffered a back injury, and so the Patriots picked him up as an undrafted free agent and just gave him a redshirt season. He was already rotating in with the ones while Flowers wasn't playing. So what is super interesting in my mind is that if you compare this edge rushing unit to what the Patriots were trotting out last year, the Patriots' lack of a pass rush undeniably was part of the reason for their failure in the Super Bowl. They just couldn't generate anything against that Eagles offensive line. And with this year, I know we haven't seen Flowers yet, but you have... Trey Flowers and Adrian Claiborne as your starters. Claiborne is just going to remind everyone of Rob Ninkovich with how strong he is going to be on the edge, how he's going to be able to generate consistent pressure. And then you bring in Dietrich Wise and Derek Rivers and possibly Keontae Davis off the bench. Remember last year that Adam Butler was the Patriots' number three edge rusher? And there's a very legitimate chance that he's not even going to make the team just because of how much stronger the Patriots are on the edge right now versus what they were last year. Absolutely. And you haven't even mentioned Mal- Malcolm Brown yet, who's their inside guy. Vincent Valentine saw some good reps on the inside. I just like what this, this unit has to offer at this point in the year. And Belichick is always preaching about depth and how you need depth. It's important to have it. And it's a good problem to have along the, the, the depth of the defensive line because I feel like there are people at every position that are versatile, that can get to the quarterback, that can do their job, they have good gap discipline, they can set the edge. So I'm excited to see what they can bring to the table, especially against a, a mobile quarterback. Uh, coming up in Cam Newton. And it also gives me a lot more confidence in a spot you and I talked about, Rich, a lot this offseason, which is the linebacker position. We're both a little worried about the, I guess, the lack of, of prime, prime draft picks invested in linebacker. Dante Hightower is an elite talent, but he's an injury-prone guy. Kyle Van Noy is a good linebacker, but he can't be asked to carry a defense, as we saw last year when Hightower went down. However, man, this kid, Jawan Bentley, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, you know, buy too high on him right now but like i he's played two games he's been a stud in both of them i love this kid and it's only been two weeks <laughs> yeah and i'm having a hard time finding such a shocking player in the preseason for the patriots you know like every year we kind of expect that there's going to be an offensive player that comes out of the blue that really shines you know last year it was jacob hollister before that you know i mean we can go up and down the list uh, and none of them really do anything in the, the, the regular season, but they surprise. You know, like Terrence Nunn, I want to say, in 2009. I feel like Darnell Jackson was another one. Those, those, those types of players. Bentley is playing like he's going to be performing on Sunday, which is something that a lot of these other late draft pick or undrafted players that shine in the preseason can't really say. Because so long as Bentley continues to be a strong run defender, and so long as he continues to prove that he deserves to be on the field in pass coverage, which he did while he was defending the tight end in the end zone right before the half, just knocking it away, that's something that a Landon Roberts can't do. And that means that Juwan Bentley is probably the number three linebacker for the Patriots behind Hightower and Van Noy, and he should see a lot of playing time. And so 
the fact that the Patriots found such a potential gem in the fifth round is really uh, helping the team overcome a lot of their early round losses. But also, it's just that's what makes the preseason so fun. It's when you have these players that come out of left field and you just get to see them shine on the big stage. Oh, for sure. And the expectations are non-existent. You can either really suck and, and stand out or you can really dominate and stand out. And uh, Bentley's definitely doing the latter. And due to the lack of depth along the linebacker position, I would be amazed if he's not not only on the final roster, but a, a rotationally good player, maybe like a three-down linebacker even. He's got the run-stuffing ability. He's better in coverage than I've seen. You know, I mean, how many times, Rich, have we seen a running back out of the flat on a wheel route just smoke Dante Hightower or Markevious Mingo or whoever uh, or Jonathan Freeney, whoever had had to cover these linebackers or these running backs, excuse me, out of the backfield and these flat routes, these wheel routes. Maybe Bentley's the guy that can actually finally put a put a, a stopper in that particular league, and I'd love to see that. Um, moving out to the secondary, it looks to me, Rich, that this secondary is more or less set with Eric Rowe as that number two corner opposite Stephon Gilmore. We saw the McCourty brothers out there. Uh, Jason McCourty didn't look great. Against the Eagles, he gave up a touchdown. He's been practicing a lot with the number twos. I don't think he's in danger to to not make the team, but I feel like you and I both thought he'd be out there starting across from Stephon Gilmore to start the season, and now I'm not so sure. Yeah, that, that touchdown that he gave up was definitely shades of Ellis Hobbs in that Super Bowl 42 against Plaxico Burris, where he was just watching. There was nothing he could do. He just got shaken out of his boots. I'm not ready yet to concede that Eric Rowe will be the starter, although he definitely has the inside track, because Jason McCourty missed a lot of practice. He's playing a lot of catch-up. Eric Rowe deserves to have the inside lane just because he's been available. He's been practicing. This is his third year with the team, so he knows what's going on. As you said, I don't believe that Jason McCourty's roster spot is in any jeopardy, but... I do question how much he will play if Eric Rowe gets to be the starter because Gilmore's not moving into the slot. Eric Rowe's not going to move into the slot. I would expect that McCourty would be the top backup in case of injury, but that the Patriots secondary will rely more on their three safety sets with Patrick Chung stepping up into the slot because that's where he really thrived last year. Yeah, and he looked great. He looked great against the Redskins. He looked great against the Eagles. Patrick Chung did, and I like their safeties a lot. Still not quite used to Deron Harmon. We're in number 21. But it's weird. That'll change. It is weird. It is weird. He keeps expecting a, a pick play to get picked off in the end zone by number 21, but that's just not going to happen anymore, unfortunately. Overall, though, I think it was a great day for the Patriots this week to game against the Eagles. There was nothing to do with avenging anything. That's obviously a ridiculous storyline to follow, but what you want to see is a, 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 a sharp, polished offense as much as it can be at that point and a, an aggressive defense. Uh, also, I'll ask you this, Rich, before we move on to training camp, what's going on, and then our, our week three preview against the Panthers. Brian Flores has taken over from Matt Patricia uh, as defensive coordinator. Patricia had very much a read-and-react kind of scheme, game plan, defensive scheme, where he he kind of shot what they were doing, kept everything in front of them, didn't give up too many big plays, where he tried not to, stiffen up in the red zone, and it was very much a, a complex scheme in that way. Uh, based on what little I've seen from Flores' defense in the preseason with zero game planning, they just seem more aggressive, they seem more go-to-the-guy-and-get-it, they just seem a little more angry. Am I overreading things, or do you see some kind of defensive shift that Flores brings to the table that Patricia didn't? In neither a good way nor a bad way, just a different philosophy. I'm going to put on my Bill Belichick hoodie right here and say <laughs> that the Patriots are – I can't even do a Belichick voice. 
the uh, the the Patriots are gonna do what 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 the Patriots are are need to practice. We're we're gonna do what's best for the team. No, oh, that, that's my that's my Belichick right there. The, uh, not so, good. Not a good. <laughs> five out of five stars. Daniel Day Lewis, watch out. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Brian Flores is going to call what he's doing right now. There isn't really too much game planning involved other than maybe they just want to put some tape together to see what the pass rushers are capable of accomplishing. I am not willing to say that this defense is going to be too greatly different from what the Patriots had done in the past because it's been successful in the past. There's no real reason to, to change it too greatly uh, with one major caveat that I'll come up with afterwards. But... What the Patriots have done under Matt Patricia is spend the first third of the season figuring out what players are good at, the second third of the season really solidifying that as being part of their game plan, and then the final third of the season becoming experts at that and just just stomping down on any other team that tries to, to come at their defense. And they learn their strengths, they play to them, they make adjustments as injuries take place. I would expect that same formula to happen for the Patriots in 2018. I do think that the big difference we're going to see this year versus last year is how they approach teams like the Philadelphia Eagles, teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, where they can't just sit back and let the offenses come to them. That's what the Patriots typically like to do against you know, the Ben Roethlisberger's of the world, a lot more of the impatient offenses that want to throw deep balls down the field, and that plays into the Patriots' defensive strategy of just sitting down, letting them take their shots, defending them, taking away the big plays, and forcing them to say, we're going to let you run a 12-13 play drive. If it ends in a score, so be it. We just know that you're so impatient, and you're not going to be able to do that on the regular basis. On the flip side, what the Philadelphia Eagles have done, what the Kansas City Chiefs have done, what that whole Andy Reid coaching tree has done when they've played the Patriots is say, you're going to let us run these 12-13 play drives? I accept that challenge. We're going to do that. And then they just pick the Patriots apart because the Patriots are trying to play their own defense where they allow the, the short passes. And then the, the other teams just take the odds. I don't think we'll see the Patriots sitting back and doing that against these offenses in 2018. I think there will be opportunities for the Patriots to flash more of their pass rush like they did against the Eagles. Well, speaking of, of flashing a pass, I will eliminate the rush part of it. Uh, that's a horrible way to transition <laughs> to receiver talk. I like um, it. I want to, yeah, I want to talk about the receivers because not only did we see some interesting combinations and routes uh, against the Eagles, there have been some news out of Patriots Nation. Uh, a receiver who was recently offered an extension, Kenny Britt, is no longer with the team. The wide receiver core now looks really, really thin, especially in light of Edelman's suspension. It is now basically, I'm guessing Chris Hogan is now the number one receiver and the Patriots. I don't think he's the number one receiver. It's now Cordell Patterson. It's now Riley McCarron, Philip Dorsett, Devin Lucian, Eric Decker, who's got pizza paddles for hands for some reason, <laughs> Paul Turner, Matthew Slater. I, I, I don't know. I'm just seeing a, a very wonky receiving core right now, and it kind of makes me think back to certain years in the past where the Patriots did not have the talent at receiver, and it makes me a little worried. Yeah, and right now the Patriots have two open roster spots, so we, we can talk a little bit about who we think are options to really fill that availability. But just looking at the talent right now, yeah, Edelman's coming off of a torn ACL. He's, what, 31, 32. He didn't play last year. He's suspended for the first four weeks of the season. There's limited value there. 
you have Chris Hogan, who has a career high of 41 receptions, I want to say. I'm a believer in him. I think he'll do really well when he has a full opportunity, but he hasn't proven it yet. Same thing applies with Cordero Patterson, who put together another really strong preseason game. I expect him to be an active part of the Patriots' offense, whether it's just swing passes out of the backfield or screens or something. They'll get the ball in his hands. He's been pretty reliable so far in the preseason, so I expect him to be that number two. But as you said, we don't know anything about Eric Decker right now. His hands have been like his feet, and Phil Dorsett has been pretty inconsistent. So there isn't really an answer on the roster. And I guess my question to you, Alec, before we go into who we think could possibly fit them, is can you think of a time where the Patriots' wide receivers were as weak as they are right now? Yeah, I mean, the the era that immediately comes to mind is 2006, the, the Rache Caldwell years. Um, you know, that was probably the weakest offense the Patriots have had. They were able to make up for with a pretty strong defense, and Brady, of course, carried them. But that was a very, very weak receiving core, and it was a lot of throws to Kevin Falk. It was a lot of throws to Troy Brown, who was still there. It was a lot of throws to tight end Benjamin Watson, a lot of dinking and dunking down the field. This wasn't an explosive, explosive offense. Uh, the good news about the 06 fiasco was that, A, they were basically within a touchdown and making it to the Super Bowl where they would have destroyed the Bears. And B, it led to the 07 year when they traded for Wes Walker, traded for Randy Moss, and they got Brady some weapons. So I'm not going to sit here and say that the current offensive scheme because of Gronkowski, because of Rex Burkhead, because of James White um, is as, as weak as 06. But in terms of the receiving core alone, that's the first thing I think of, the Rache Caldwell years. Oof, that's brutal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. after the the wake of that 06 season, they just had to just scrape down at the bottom of the barrel and just start over again. They, they did pretty well by adding someone named Randy Moss and Wes Welker, but I, that's not coming through the door right now this year. And in my mind, the yeah, I, I go to the 2013 season, just where there's just so many things that took place. And I know that I'm kind of expanding the scope a little bit with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez not being available for that team. But they shipped out Wes Welker and brought in Danny Amendola, who promptly tore his groin in the very first week. By the end of the year, they're relying on Austin Colley. It's just they, they were in a pretty rough shape. And again, those 06, 2013 years. Both happened to lose to Peyton freaking Manning in the the AFC Championship game. There is still hope, everyone. There is still hope this offense is going to be fine enough. They're probably not going to be that superstar burning through the opposing defenses like they've been in the past few years, but they'll be good enough. And there are options, Alec. There are some options. And the, the big one on everyone's on everyone's mind right now is former Dallas Cowboys wide receiver Dez Bryant, and you have your opinions on this. What do you think are the chances are that Dez Bryant will or will not come to the Patriots, and why? Uh, I think he will not come to the Patriots. Let me say that outright. I think he should come to the Patriots. I am not a Dez Bryant fan. I think he's overrated as a receiver. He has trouble getting separation. He doesn't win those 50-50 balls. The defensive backs winning those as of late. His root tree is limited. Uh, he's not as good a receiver as maybe he was made out to be early on. But he is a very gifted athlete. He's a talented player. I think he would fit in well with this Patriot system. You want to give him some time to acclimate. It would be a very beneficial thing. I think he's a red zone monster regardless. Him and Gronkowski in the red zone I think would be an amazing package you can get out there. And I just see personally no reason why the Patriots wouldn't bring him in on a low one-year. Randy Moss, Corey Dillon, you know, 
those guys kind of prove it, malcontent, bring it in, redeem your career, low low uh, cost, high incentive, veteran minimum, one-year prove-it deal to bolster their offense and give the defender something to worry about. Again, even if he just does a go route on every single snap, you have to account for what he brings to the table in terms of athleticism. The negatives are it's very late in the offseason and the preseason to bring in a receiver. Sometimes these guys come in, these Joey Galloways and these Chad Ochocincos, and their football intelligence just does not equate to their athletic intelligence, and they cannot pick up the playbook for whatever reason. And it might be odd to bring a guy of his kind of, I guess, panache, reputation, whatever you want to call it, in this late in the season, whereas like Adelius Thomas and Corey Dillon and Randy Moss, they were all there as early as, as April of the year before. So he's kind of a big order to take in mid to late August, expect him to be ready to go in September. So I think he won't be on the roster come game day, but I would love to see it. Yeah. And Des Bryant, in my mind, can still contribute. There's been, like, a huge backlash against him saying that he can't contribute whatsoever. But even his stat line last year, 69 catches, 838 yards, and six touchdowns, that's better than anything that the Patriots have on their roster right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you compare yeah. that to what all of the Patriots receivers were producing last year, Des Bryant was better than all of them. And so, yeah, he's not the most precise route runner. And yeah, he made a lot of his bread with the Cowboys by winning these jump balls with Tony Romo. He did not produce with Dak Prescott. He did produce with Tony Romo. He was not a slouch last year. He sure he's not the same guy that was putting up 1300 yards and 15 touchdowns three years ago. But is he a guy who could be, you know, 800 yards and five touchdowns? Yeah, because he did that last year with a far worse quarterback than, than Tom Brady. And you put him in the Patriots offense, you'll have Rob Gronkowski drawing away a lot of the attention. You'll have Chris Hogan or Julian Edelman on the inside drawing away some additional attention. Des Bryant was the guy for the Cowboys, and he had all the attention focused on him. He could have a renaissance season with the Patriots, and by renaissance, I mean, even if he's like a thousand yards, not a 1300, just 1000 yards, five receiving touchdowns, that is still within reason for him. There's no reason not to bring him in, even at this late stage of the preseason, because there's nothing they have to lose. And there's no one on the roster that I would argue is worth protecting over Des Bryant, right? I don't, I don't or I mean, the Patriots have two open roster spots. I, I meant more so on, at the wide receiver position. Is there anyone who's really standing out where you're like, I think it's unfair to them based off of how they've been producing that we shouldn't bring in a veteran at this point in time? I don't think so. We've seen nothing out of Berrios, nothing out of Decker, nothing out of Dorset, nothing out of McCarron, nothing out of Turner. We've seen a little bit out of Devin Lucian. We know what Chris Hogan is. We know what Julian Edelman is. We have seen stuff out of Cordero Patterson. There is no reason not to bring in Des Bryant. And I have a few other receivers that I want to ask you if the Patriots should bring in. But, yeah, I think Des Bryant should come to New England. Not only that, he's only 29, and it would be pretty sweet to have two of the first-round draft picks the Patriots traded away ended up being Des Bryant and Cordell Patterson. To have them both on the, the, the team later on, to have them both dominate, would be really, really sweet. It probably won't happen because, again, it's very rare that a very obvious move that the media is talking about happens because it's like Belichick wants to show them that they don't know what they're talking about. But, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. However, Richard, right, there actually are some other players out there, some decent talents the Patriots can bring in that I think could contribute. So who do you like besides Des Bryant that's out there? So I want to know your thoughts on Jeremy Macklin. 
He oh, is yeah, good call. he's 30 years old right now. He didn't really contribute too much with the Baltimore Ravens last year, but the Ravens were also just simply atrocious. He did okay in 2015 with the Kansas City Chiefs, but Alex Smith is Alex Smith, and he wasn't able to fully take advantage of Macklin as a receiver. He has been, you know, over the middle part of his career, he, he has torn his uh, ACL, I believe, and so he, he lost a little bit of the speed that made him such a threat with the Eagles in that first year with the Chiefs. But, I mean, he's someone as well that has a skill set that could match with what the Patriots want. I'm not saying he's necessarily got that same speed as Philip Dorsett, but I don't see why he couldn't contribute in a similar role as that deep outside guy, maybe a Dante Stallworth-esque, just stretch the field, go down there, maybe pick up a few deep bombs throughout the season, and see what he has left in the tank. What do you think about Jeremy Macklin? Jeremy Macklin is one of those players who, every time he played against the Patriots, he had a monster day and kind of disappeared at stretches throughout the rest of the time with his time on the Chiefs and the Eagles and the, and the Ravens. I think he's a good big play threat. Mackle's not the kind of guy who's kind of like he'll be like one week he'll have, you know, one catch for 16 yards and then two catches for 12 yards and then three catches for 123 yards and two touchdowns. And then it's kind of like, almost like a LeGarrette Blunt-esque uh, running style he had with the Patriots. I can see him having that kind of, that kind of up-and-down time with the Patriots. However... The way this offense works with guys like Edelman and Hogan and Gronk and James White and Burkhead, I think Macklin actually could be a really interesting dynamic that he, he represents. If you get Macklin and Cordell Patterson, that's kind of your, your mid-range roots and your deep roots, uh, respectively, with those two guys in there. Um, you know, I think he'd need to definitely prove it, come in for a workout and show that he's still kind of uh, the star that he was on the Eagles. But I'd love to see Matt come in there if for no other reason that I know for a fact he will not line up against the Patriots at some point this year for, like, the Jaguars or the Colts and just light us up. So that's a good call. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think I think that he could provide some value. But here's another one. Brandon LaFell. Brandon LaFell right. was released by the Cincinnati Bengals on the 2nd of August. He is available. He, as everyone knows, produced extraordinarily for the Patriots in 2014 and route to winning Super Bowl Forty Nine. He was dealing with a foot injury in 2015, but still did his best as the rest of the Patriots offense battled their injuries. He knows the offense. He has a rapport with Tom Brady. He's not a perfect receiver. He could potentially duplicate what Chris Hogan already provides to the roster. What do you think about LaFell as an option? Yeah, I, I was thinking about LaFell. I, I just, I'm of the opinion that if, if he is – if the Patriots are looking for a receiver – I don't know if they'd bring LaFell in over a Des Bryant, for example. I feel like his time with the Patriots has come and gone. Um, I know Michael Floyd's bill for a while. They didn't bring Michael Floyd in. I just don't see them dipping back into a well that they've already dipped into in the past. I feel like LaFell's ship has sailed. I liked LaFell. I think he was a good fit in the system. But I also think LaFell was really good for the 2014 Patriots offense and what they were. As you mentioned earlier in the podcast, this is going to be a very different offense than they were in 2014. I don't know if he really fits in with the, the scheme as I envision it uh, right now. So if it came down to basically a, a Macklin or LaFell, uh, I'd take LaFell. I mean, excuse me, I'd take Macklin over LaFell. But I still think if they're looking to outside receiver, Des Bryant is well above the rest of the field. Interesting, interesting. All right, so here's uh, a third one that could be kind of uh, out of left field is Dontrell Inman. Sorry, Dontrell Inman. Oh, wow. uh, former L.A. Charger spent last year with the Chicago Bears. 
he developed year over year with the Chargers. Eventually, in 2016, he had 58 catches for 810 yards and four touchdowns. He's six foot three, 205 pounds. He was part of a pretty unimpressive Chicago Bears team last year. I don't really want to hold too much of his lack of production against him just due to the state of the Bears. But he's unsigned. He's also a good special teams player. He's big. He can produce on the outside. He's been primarily uh, like a mid-range target for the, the Chargers. He could be, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking him as similar as a Des Bryant where he could step in and be a number one wide receiver. But if you have Hogan on the field, if you have Edelman, Inman could be that number three guy that you put out there. Maybe he's like a, a 400 to 500 yard receiver if he's given enough opportunity out there. What do you think about him as a fit? Another fun Dontrell Inman fact, he was a Grey Cup champion with the Toronto Argonauts in 2012. <laughs> so he's got that championship pedigree with him. Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like he, I think that's probably of all the things we're talking about. That's like that's like the Belichick move, right? They're down a receiver, they need help, they're very thin. Des Bryant's out there, Brandon LaFell's out there, Eric Decker's out there. They cut Eric Decker and they lay Des Bryant on the bench and they bring in Dontrell Elman. That's exactly the kind of move they do. Vintage Belichick right there. Uh, I don't know much about him. I remember seeing him, you know, flash at times, but he's just one of those guys that he'd fly under the radar. He might have the football IQ for it. So if I had to pick a receiver right now, he's probably the guy the Pats will go with if they're going for outside help because he's the last one anybody would expect. Yeah. Well, I'm still going to hold that hope for Des Bryant because Bryant could just take this team to the next level. I, I don't know what he is asking for at wide receiver. There has, what did he turn down, a $9 million per year contract from the Baltimore Ravens earlier this offseason. At this stage of the year, Bryant says that he wants to play for a contender. He wants to reestablish his market value. He'll be 30 after the season. Maybe there'll be one more chance to get a, you know, a three-year deal somewhere in free agency if he's able to produce. I mean, he doesn't have a, a reason not to sign with the Patriots, right? If the Patriots go to him and say, all right, here's a one-year $5 million deal, I know that that's a little bit more than what the Patriots are paying their other receivers. But if the Patriots say, here's a, a maybe even like a Darrell Revis, here's a two-year $10 million contract with like an additional $5 million in incentives. The second year is a player option, a whole bunch of things like that, or a team option. If the Patriots said, we'll give you a chance to reestablish your value, do us a favor because you're not going to get an opportunity to play in an offense with a quarterback like ours that could give you as many opportunities as we're able to provide you with Edelman on the sideline for four weeks without a real bona fide number one outside wide receiver to block him from taking snaps. Bryant makes the most sense for me. No, totally. I mean, Des Bryant, I think it's a win-win for both sides. Des Bryant needs some redemption. He needs to show that everybody out there that he can play and he can be a team player. He's not going to be a diva. And if you give him a chance, he'll do well. The Patriots need the depth. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, he recently Instagrammed or tweeted or you faced or my snapped or the, the latest Belichick. One thing was like he Pandero. I think the, the newest thing Pan <laughs> Belichick messed up was like he, he Pandero recently that Tom Brady was his favorite player of all time. So I think he sneaky wants in. I think he'll take a hometown discount. And he will he'll do well. Um, but I don't think if they do anything, they're not going to do it this week because, again, like I said, it is week three of the preseason. It is time to see what we're made of. Carolina Panthers, Patriots going on the road. Usually the starters play through the first half and into the third quarter. This should be an interesting matchup. 
because as we talked earlier in the podcast, Cam Newton's a much more no- mobile quarterback than what they faced so far in the Chiefs. I mean, the, the Redskins and the Eagles and that defensive line, a little, little, little bigger test with, with that mobility. Rich, what are you looking to see and hoping to figure out after this third week of the preseason is over and done with? Yeah, I, I think we'll get a better understanding of how the Patriots' depth chart is currently playing out. So whichever players line up with uh, the first-team offense, first-team defense, take that more seriously than you did last week, where the Patriots gave Keontae Davis and Jawan Bentley some time to play with the number ones. Uh, they, I think they did the same thing on offense. They gave I, I forget who they gave. They gave some time. Uh, I want to say it was Ryan Izzo or Will Ty. They gave one of their tight ends a little bit of time with their, their starters. I don't take that too seriously in the second week of the preseason. I view that as an opportunity for the coaches to see, okay, you did enough in the first week of the preseason. I want to see if you can continue to play at a high level while surrounded by other players of a higher caliber because there's only so much you can learn when you're surrounded by players that are also maybe not as good because you don't know if the fault, if a bad play happens, if it's player A or player B at certain points. And so by putting them with the starters, you get a really better opportunity to put those players under a microscope. If those players get an opportunity to be with the top unit in week three, I think that is an indicator of how the coaching staff perceives these players, whether they're legitimately in the running to be a part of that starting lineup, and where they actually fall on that Patriots death chart. So I'm going to be watching to see if Jawan Bentley, Keontae Davis, and Derek Rivers are all lining up with that top unit. I'm curious to see if Eric Rowe and Jason McCourty, which one has the inside lane at starting cornerback, my money is on Eric Rowe. And I'm curious as well on offense just to figure out what the heck is going on at wide receiver because hell if I know. No, it's true, man. I think that's, again, like the, the key is always going to be who lines up the first quarter, first snap uh, on both sides of the ball. That'll be very telling at this point. Uh, on the maybe the mid to the back end of the roster, Rich, do you see it as kind of do or die, make or break time for any player in particular, or do all these guys still have a couple more weeks to prove themselves? Uh, I, I would expect it to be do or die for a few players where they've had an opportunity to shine and then there are other younger players that are nipping at their heels, I should say. So at cornerback, I think it's pretty easy to point at Cyrus Jones. At safety, it's easy to point at Jordan Richards. It's kind of do or die for them because J.C. Jackson, Ryan Lewis, those are players, even Keon Crossan, have been getting more opportunities than Cyrus Jones to really show what they're capable of doing. And then I would point at Eddie Pleasant as someone who is possibly capable of taking over Jordan Richards' spot on defense and on special teams. So former Patriots second-round picks, their spots are a little bit in jeopardy figuring out what's going on there. And then I would also say it's do or die on the offensive line because, sure, the Patriots have been losing some players with Isaiah Wynn to his torn Achilles, which is a, a very unfortunate thing to take place. But you look at the other depth players. Is Matt Tobin, who's a older veteran, Brian Schwenke, are these older players going to be able to make the roster or will the Patriots opt to go with some younger players like a Cole Croston or a Ted Karras? And those are the, the type of battles that I'll be looking for. It's funny, Rich. You mentioned Cyrus Jones, and I'm glad you did. I personally am of the opinion. I've caught in a lot of feet, uh, flack from this, both online and in my personal conversations. I see no reason 
why they wouldn't put him back out on the field to return some punts or, or cover somebody. I feel like he's one of those guys, once he lost his confidence, it was just gone, and he was shaken up, and he couldn't quite get it back. It's the pre. I don't care if he muffs a punt in the preseason. I, could, I could personally couldn't care less if he muffs a punt in the preseason. What do you think it is that's keeping him out of contention completely? Hasn't really seen the field at all. Are they just giving up on him, or is there something else going on the, behind the scenes that we don't know about? Well, it, it seems to me that they're just trying to give Riley McCarron all the opportunities as a return man to see if he can make that roster because McCarron has that inside lane on the offensive side of the ball to ultimately replace Danny Amendola as the slot receiver. So they want to see if McCarron can provide special teams value, and if so, maybe he'll be that number four, number five receiver to make that squad. Versus Cyrus Jones, he... I just I don't see the coaching staff giving him opportunities to prove that he's redeemed himself. They don't have him out there returning kicks. They don't have him really covering the same way that the other guys are. It's just not a great place for him to get back on the roster. And ultimately, it's probably for the best for both sides just to, to go their separate ways and allow Cyrus Jones to sign with a different team to reestablish his value to really kind of find his mojo again. I think it's probably for the best that they, they go their separate ways. Maybe he can call up uh, Razai Dowling. They can start a support group. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Cyrus Jones in the league a couple years from now. I would expect him to go to a team maybe like the, the Arizona Cardinals or somewhere where they have a track record of developing defensive backs. I hope so, man, because honestly, we talked a little before the podcast started. The Patriots have not had the best luck with early round draft picks, either due to guys just not panning out or just injuries. It seems weird to me that the Patriots have had a really hard time keeping guys healthy. Part of that, I think, is because of their draft strategy of taking chances on guys that should be maybe top 10 picks even that fall in the draft due to injury concerns. They say, screw it. Well, this guy's worth the, the risk it in late in the first round or mid-second round, whatever it is, and they end up getting hurt. And it's also maybe just be just kind of just maybe poor evaluation. I don't know what it is, but with Wynn being injured, like you said, Sony Michelle has not seen the field at all this preseason and might be one of those IR years for him. It's starting to look more and more that way. What do you think it is about the Patriots draft picks and, and not staying healthy? It's exactly what you said, where the, the Patriots have a desire to let the talent come to them in the draft. Because year over year over year, they're drafted late in the first round, late in the second round. And so they don't have many opportunities to add these blue chip players. And so they're going to go swing for the fences when they get the chance. And that in 2014, that's Dominique Easley. In 2016, that led to Cyrus Jones at the end of the second round, even though he didn't have an injury history at that point. But, you know, he, it did happen to him in the league, and he was a very, very raw player. It happened to, you know, Malcolm Mitchell. Derek Rivers didn't have an injury history, but he got hurt. Tony Garcia had his what, gastrointestinal issues or whatever the heck happened to him where he lost all of his weight. And then it's they've already lost Isaiah Wynn and they lost Sony Michelle at least for a little bit. Hopefully he'll return by the start of the season. They've just been battling injuries with all of their top players. I have no idea what's going on because it doesn't seem like every single player has the injury track record that the Malcolm Mitchells or Dominic Easley's have where, yeah, they've blown out their knees twice. There's going to be a little bit of a trouble with them. So you expect to take that risk. But all of the other early round picks, they just kind of get hurt once they get to the league. And that's just really disappointing and unfortunate to see. The Patriots always seem to have some of the worst injury luck in the league 
we've done some research on this at uh, on our website where when the Patriots have above average injury luck, so their players are healthier than the league average, they win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and when they have below average injury luck, they usually finish in the bottom like 5-10 of the league and they lose in the conference championship game. So, you know, all's like not horrible. But, I mean, that just shows how the team's able to push themselves over the top if they can just get a little bit of injury luck. Yeah, man. I mean, so was the life of a Patriots fan, right? You're talking about just, you know, oh, man, this guy's hurt. Now we're only going to make it to the AFC Championship game. Like, that is a narrative that you have to endure as a Patriots fan, but I wouldn't trade it for the world, and uh, hopefully these guys will stay healthy. If nothing else, it's, it, it, the, the league's just better when players are healthy. You always hate it. It happens every single year. It happened to the Redskins. Their first-round draft pick or their, their big running back went down already. Isaiah Wynn went down. You just don't like seeing guys get hurt. And hopefully, um, obviously, the good news is with this amazing new helmet rule, uh, there'll be way less injuries now because there'll just be flags all the time and, and people have plenty of time to get the ref. <laughs> they'll, they'll be resting in between all snaps. So yeah. it's perfect. Yeah, so we have the Patriots playing the Panthers on Friday night, 7.30 Eastern time. We'll have all of our breakdowns on patspulpit.com. Alec, do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh, yeah, if we don't win uh, next th- on Friday, I'm just going to stop watching because it's all over. Oh, it's true that the season is just done. This is really what determines whether or not the Patriots win or they lose this upcoming year. Oh, boy. Alec, no pressure. But until next time, you have a good one. You too, buddy. See you. Later. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.